Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Thursday edition of Ball Don't Lie, and the theme, of course, is about the uh, the unofficial holiday that America is celebrating right now. Opening day for Major League Baseball, and uh, if you're a Rangers fan, you're probably really excited right now. They have a 9-6 lead, bottom of the fifth inning on the Phillies. Yeah, if you if you were you know just kind of. Uh, Looking in a little bit early, just just kind of peeking into that game and saw it, and you probably saw it, the Rangers were down 5-0 at one point, end up coming back. Uh, I apologize, I was supposed to give a spoiler alert there too uh, for updates, so we'll try to do that too uh, when we get to some of the other uh, matchups and some of the other scores from Major League Baseball. Shout out to my man Patrick, always doing a great job with the Musical.ly themed days of the week for a new theme Thursday, and of course, it's all about songs related to Baseball. You can be a part of the show. Specs Tech Signs is the best way to hit us up. 512-337-3776. You also can hit us up via Twitter. Hardball Harge is at Hardball Harge in the Twitterverse. My man Patrick Davis at It's Patrick Davis in the Twitterverse. And I'm at Rod Babers in the Twitterverse. We got some Texas spring football conversation to get into. Sarcadis media availability after the eighth practice for the Longhorns. So we got some cuts that we'll get into a little bit. Uh, also coming up later on in Rod's round the day. Uh, I'll get into a little bit of Texas's offense, but also talking about the offensive philosophy that Sark shares with a lot of other coaches. And it may give us a little sneak peek, may foreshadow what the Texans' offense could look like because the Texans are also part of that um, that coaching ideology, um, from that that, uh, that, philo- that that philosophical tree of coaches who believe in that, uh, that zone-blocking running scheme from the old Shanahan clan and uh, Sark recently, uh, which just talking about Shanahan. As a matter of fact, mm-hmm. uh, we got some audio of him talking about uh, Kyle Shanahan coming in to be the uh, the keynote speaker at the coaches' clinic. So we'll get to that here coming up here in just a second. All right, first cut though. It was a good question about players who Sark believes have uh, kind of stood out to him. All right, players who have earned playing time just this spring, who are really, really uh, making their case for being someone who can either rise up in the depth chart or end up stealing some reps. Here's what Sark had to say about those players who are earning time. I think one guy that stands out to me right now is Keaton Crawford, um, who, uh, who um, w- tremendous special teams player for us a year ago. Um, you know, I, I think he was Big 12 special teams player of the year. This guy was fantastic. Uh, he's playing really well at safety force right now. And he's communicating at a high level. He's making plays on the ball. He's playing fast. Um, he's definitely maturing. Um, so he's, he's one guy that definitely stands out to me. Um, another guy, another guy to me that, that, 
kind of stands out are two guys that are in a healthy competition. I think DJ Campbell and Cam Williams, uh, they're both working hard on the offensive line and, and showing some positive things there. Um, and then I, I'd say the, the, the last guy that, that makes sense to me that, um, is definitely shown up a guy who wasn't a frontline starter for us a year ago, but I think is kind of assuming that role of that guy has been Byron Murphy uh, on the defensive line. Uh, he, he's been a force uh, here early on in spring that uh, you feel his presence and he's tough to block. He, um, he creates a lot of negative plays in, and is uh, really strong at the point of attack. All right, that's like a that. that's a nice list. I like that. Yeah. Um, can't work our way backwards here. I like the Byron Murphy thing. Well, I don't like it. I love it. I was going to say we love that. I love it <laughs> uh, for a lot of reasons, but also because Byron Murphy last year was a part of that interior D line for Texas that you could argue was the deepest defensive line in the country. I know it sounds crazy in retrospect to just throw it out there in such a cavalier fashion, but it really was one of the uh, deepest interior D-lines in the country. The guys who are on campus now, Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy. By the way, Tavondre Sweat uh, saw a stat the other day that he, his five batted balls actually led uh, among Power 5 interior D-linemen. And, and that guy's coming back. And NFL scouts love him because he's huge. Yes, he Somebody is. Sweat is a big body. And he's athletic, but he's big, man. He's got that NFL size. Uh, but Moro Ojimo, who's been turning a ton of heads uh, from his combine, and now people he, he's forced people to go back to the film to watch him uh, with his versatility can play inside, play outside, and Keandre Coburn. As I said, everybody need, every team needs a Coburn, and Keandre Coburn was part of that interior D-line last year, too. And then you threw in an Alfred Collins. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, then you threw in you know, a Vernon Broughton. I mean, that's a deep group, Harge. Love it. And that's why they were, I think they were second in, in all of college football last season. Uh, look, Just pro football focus numbers, so don't criticize me. Uh, but pro football <laughs> focus had him, I believe, as second in college football in pressures. Last season, love it, and I, I think I, I don't know how many came for the interior D line, but I would I would guess that a bunch of them came from that interior defensive uh, group. Yeah, and that's the group that we were talking about. Every time you start looking at the numbers, every we would see uh, this is the number two ranked group in this week. This is the number one ranked gr- group in Pro Football Focus. You start looking at the grades that that interior line was getting last year. That is the impressive part about it. And when you hear a name like Alfred Collins, who we've been waiting to see pop, uh, start to get that 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 push. And, of course, Byron Murphy, who I've been looking at him as a Roy Miller starter kit. I've been looking at him as that oh, like type that. of guy like to where Roy Miller – but Roy was on a different level mentally right off the jump, right? Roy came in and he was, he was going to make an impact right away. I think Byron Murphy is that type of guy, and I think now being in the program a little bit longer, now becoming a mature mature player, I think this is his year to really, really burst onto the scene. Yeah, uh, he brought out some youngsters on that deep, at mm-hmm. offensive line as well. Yep, uh, DJ Campbell being one of those names he Cam brought up. Cam Williams, uh, Cam Williams. Yep. Uh, that, that offensive line—it's <laughs> amazing. It's it's really deep. I mean, they bring back every starter from last season, but then you're going to have potentially one or two guys just added to the rotation who potentially could be upgrades. If you look at the ceiling yep. of those offensive linemen, obviously the guys who are veterans coming back, they're the sorters, but some of these younger players coming mm-hmm. in, they have higher ceilings than even some of the veterans, and they may force themselves, uh, or at least force the coaches, to give them some playing time this season. And the Keaton Crawford thing was interesting. Yeah, and Did he say Keaton Crawford he thought was the special teams player of the year? 
in the Big 12 last season? He was making plays. I got to go back and watch the film. He was always around the football. He was. He was always around the football. Man, to say that he was the best special teams player in the conference? Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'll, I'll go back and check it out then. Um, but he, that's another guy that it's if, if he is actually now, uh, you know, compelling the coaches to give him more playing time, you're already pretty set and deep in secondary. That would be, you know, that'd be an added bonus. No uh, doubt. That, that really would be because I think you, your starters are pretty much set if Jalen Catalan stays healthy. But maybe that's what you need. Some insurance behind Jalen Catalan. You see it. Ooh. You saw it. Yeah, I did. Yeah, you did. Dang. <laughs> another one. Uh, another one. Uh, Rangers. Oh, you know, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Um, yeah. Rangers put up two more with a two-run home run by Brad Miller. Yeah. Wow. You were saying? Those tables. <laughs> Turn fast. They don't do they? tend to turn. Oh yeah! Wow, there you go. Space, okay. hey, what I tell you every day, it's baseball, man. Just <laughs> let it play out, man. Just let it play out. Let's make sure that we we let it play out. Uh, yeah. So I like that that Keen Crawford was a name that also uh, was brought up. That's really good for the defensive backfield. Uh, oh yes, he also he's supposed to be a track yes. guy. He's supposed yes. to be really fast too. And we know Sark loves speed. One thing he covets. Yep. Um, okay. Another question was asked about the early enrollees, um, and you know Sark has a lot of early enrollees, but uh, he's expecting these guys to have an impact early with this squad. Um, here is Sark talking about the early enrollees and what type of impact they've had so far. Yeah, uh, I think they've all done well. Um, I think this group came in in as a whole uh, with a really competitive mindset. Uh, like I said, I think, you know, whether it's intentional or not, a lot of them are winners that, you know, they, they expect to win. They, they want to compete. They want to do it at a high level. Um, and all of them, to some degree, have flashed, right, in some way, shape or form. Um, you know, obviously some guys that to my opinion have, have been a little bit more consistent. I think Cedric Baxter has been very good. I think, uh, Anthony Hill has been very good. Um, I think DeAndre Moore has been very good. You know, Jonte's done, done some really nice things. Malik Muhammad's done some nice things. Leonga LaFowle's done some nice things. Um, you know, Sadir Mitchell figuring it out, but man, you feel his presence. He's such a big guy. Obviously what Arch has done, um, you know, eight practices in as, in, as a quarterback in our system, um, it's not easy. Um, you know, we, 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 we take the training wheels off day one and you got to learn how to ride this bike. And so all of it is, is like, man, are we just trying to get, are we getting better from one practice to the next? And are we correcting the issues that were an issue in practice seven? And did we get better at those things in practice eight? Because, we're constantly throwing not only install at them and not only are they happy. Yeah. Uh, I think they've all done well. And so all of it is, is like, man, are we just trying to get, are we just, are we getting better from one practice to the next? And are we correcting the issues that were an issue in practice seven? And did we get better at those things in practice eight? Because we're constantly throwing not only install at them and not only are they having to go against the other side of the ball, which is install, but now we're, we're into the special situations of the game. And so now they're, they're trying to tie all that together and still use the right fundamentals and techniques and play with the right effort. So um, there's, there's going to be some growing pains, but there's been some guys that have, that have really showed us some, uh, some things that, man, we, these guys are probably going to have contribute this fall to what degree we don't know yet, but they're definitely high level players who are, who are very competitive, uh, who want to be good. Um, and, and they're trying to earn their way on the field.
All right, uh, there you go. So yeah. they, they're going to need a lot of these young guys. I mean, top of my top of the head, I can think about you know um, just the linebacker position opposite. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, right there, just the one with Demarvin Overshone, obviously uh, no longer there. I think that will be a, a, a healthy competition. And right. I think uh, one of the young players, uh, Anthony Hill, who's a five star, um, uh, love it. Yeah, I think he'll be one of the guys that will be in consideration. I don't know if they want a freshman to start day one, that kind of thing, but mm-hmm. he'll definitely be in that in that conversation. Um, all other early enrollees, wide receiver position. Yeah. DeAndre Moore, Shante Cook, and DeAndre Jante Moore. Cook. Yeah, uh, I, from what I've heard, both from both about both of those guys, they're going to be early contributors. They're going to be them. a problem. Both of them will be early contributors. Yep. The wide receiving core could end up being, you know, one of the team strengths. It should be right. You got you got Xavier Worthy. You have Jay Witt. Those are veteran guys. You're going to bring in Ad Mitchell, also a veteran uh, who's played in some high level games at Georgia. Uh, then you're bringing in two really dynamic young uh, prospects in Jonte Cook and DeAndre Moore. Right. And uh, we don't even talk about Casey Kane's of the world. We don't even talk about all the other uh, players. Brandon Thompson. Yep. Y'all about him because he's running track. I so think I saw his mom post something. I don't know if it was to him. I'm going to have to follow up. But there was something about a hamstring deal. Oh, in track? Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, he's fast enough where, you know. Yeah, he, you know he's he going to have them. Yeah. I, yeah, I do wish that during the season, Sark would maybe come up with special uh, plays for that could weaponize his speed um, to try to utilize his speed. But uh, we saw that last year, actually. Yeah, she just they posted that- MRI negative for a strain and tear. There's fluid and inflammation. Uh, Let's get him cleared up so he can get back on the, that track. Thank yeah. you for all the play- prayers. I believe it was Oklahoma State game, and they ran a two-back set. Yeah. Ended up throwing him like a screen pass. Quick screen. A quick screen. There you go he- with that quick game, quick game. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, yeah, and don't forget about Isaiah New York. Thank That's you right. very much, Sexter. Yeah. That's right. I mean, that, that room, to me, you're looking at the identity of the offense, it, it, it's got to be linked to that group. Yeah. But then so many other variables must be functioning at a high level the offensive line, the pass mm-hmm. blocking, Quinn Ewers, his footwork, his delivery, his processing, all mm-hmm. that. That's all got to be in tune. That's all got to be working uh, together in in perfect harmony for your passing game to be your strength. But when you got a, a, a starting quarterback coming back, when you got an offensive line with that kind of upside, well, all your all, all five of them coming back, yeah, yep. and you got that kind of experience with the wide receiving core and JT Sanders, by the way, included in that too. It you know that's your strength now. Can you make all of those moving parts work together, all right, and function together? Yep. That's a different discussion because last year you could not for different reasons. X Man's injury, young O line, young quarterback, all that different type of stuff. And but the you, fact Nayor was not playing last Nayor year. Nayor was also right. hurt too. Yeah. So a lot of lot of there was, but that's gonna happen again. That's football, by the way. There are gonna be certain part of the game. impediments. There will be certain issues that arise that'll keep you from becoming the ideal offense. That's football. Yep, yep. What do I say about coaches? They're problem solvers. Go that's solve what the problem. Supposed to be. Go solve the problem. Um, I think Sark's working on that problem too with the passing game. He said that's his top priority this offseason. Um, speaking of the passing game, this leads us right to our next cut here. Um, Sark was asked about two players that have been a big topic of discussion among Longhorn fans in the offseason. Quinn Ewers, of course, um, but also Alfred Collins. 
Uh, that's the belief. Remember, Alfred Collins came in, a uh, five-star player. A lot of people thought mm-hmm. Alfred Collins was going to be a war daddy for Texas on that defensive line. Hasn't happened yet. Yet. All right. And yeah, I use that word yet. yet. I'm throwing it out there because I do think it's in him. But if you see him coming off the bus, there's a lot of people that think he's got all the measurables. He's got mm-hmm. all the raw material to be that war daddy. This could be the year that it, 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 you know, the light goes off for him. For Quinn Ewers, we already know. Golden Orm, one of the highest rated recruits in the history of modern recruiting. Uh, those are the two players Sark was asked about. Here's what he had to say. Yeah, um, I think um, I th- a couple of things from Quinn. I think Quinn had a really good winter conditioning kind of off season. Um, I think he got himself in really good shape. Um, he definitely feels more comfortable. Um, it, it, you can almost a, a sense of, you know, he's throwing the ball very naturally, very comfortably. Um, you know, I think from a decision-making standpoint, the reads are just happening that much quicker, uh, that much more decisive. I think the management of our style of offense, right? The, the shifts, the motions, the tempos, the, the varying tempos, all those things of, of handling of that aspect of the game, I think you're seeing growth. I think it just looks like a guy who's in year two and is growing into year two of, of, of the, from a comfort level. Not perfect, and, and I don't expect him to be perfect right now. I mean, we challenge him every day, and the defense is challenging the offense every day, and we're putting new things in. There's some things we're looking at that, that maybe we haven't decided are we going to put and have as – a part of our offense. And so that can be challenging on a quarterback because there's some newness to, to what we're doing. But at the end of the day, I just think his comfort level, uh, but also I think his, his intent, right? I mean, he, he was very intentional this off season of getting himself in a, in a, in a really good space physically and mentally. Um, and I think it's showing um, throughout the first eight practices. I think Alfred um, has taken another step. Right. Um, you know, we, we talked a lot about Alfred a year ago about it wasn't about the talent. It was about the consistency in the play and his style of play. And when Alfred plays that way, which he's doing right now, where he's consistent at the point of attack, he can use his length. He has great athleticism. He can close on the ball. Um, and and he, when he plays really violent like he's doing right now, he's a he's a real problem. And uh, I think that we've seen that here the first half of spring from him. We're waiting. We've been waiting. We've been waiting, like waiting for Godot. We're waiting. <laughs> We're waiting on Africans, man, because I, 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 I can't help but get excited every time I think about it. But I, I fear that we, we get this little buzz about Alfred Collins every offseason now. And I'm hoping that that's not the case. Hoping that this year he – because Bo Davis did a fantastic job with that defensive line last season. I mean, Unreal. that group was unbelievable. They were intense. They, they really were, were strong. They were moving. They were getting that push. They reset that the line They were missing yep. for a very long time because before, and I'll never forget, Kenny Sims, when we had him on with uh, us, he was talking about, <laughs> we like got that. a bunch of dancing bears because everybody <laughs> just standing there. They wasn't putting their head down. They should have no necks because they should be leaning <laughs> on them guys. I'm like, yeah, you right, big fella. You right. Yeah. Don't he say about sometimes you got to want to smash some face? Yeah, you want to smash some so face. Sometimes you just got to want to smash some face. <laughs> and I was like, that is so brilliant and eloquent and articulate. <laughs> exactly. Never had to put that way. You're damn right. I want but my deepest right. alignment to want to smash some face. There you go. That's why he was great, by That's the way. That's why he was great. Smash That's why he was face. number one overall. Exactly. Smashing plenty of face out That's there. Right. Uh, so, yeah, the, 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 uh, the Alfred Collins, the defensive line. Listen, he's should be getting 
I don't think that he's demanding a double team either. I mean, he's going to get one-on-one blocking, especially if they put him on the defensive line yep. with other guys who are already guys like Tavondre Sweat on that defense line of Byron Murphy. You're asking me as an offensive mind to delegate responsibility about which one of those guys is the most urgent threat on that D-line. Honestly, right now, it's probably an insult to him. I wouldn't pick Alfred Collins. Right. I'd pick. I'd, you know, I'd, I'd probably say, now nah, we got Brock Sweat. We got to oh, block yeah. Byron, Byron Murphy. Murphy. Yeah. So I would say he'd probably get one on one block. Byron Sorrell. I mean, Baron, uh, yeah, yeah Baron Sorrell. Sorrell. Exactly. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'd, I'd pick one of those guys. So to me, Alfred Collins, he, his his goal should be I want to demand a double team by the end right. of the year. Right. I, I, would, I would like single blocking that to be considered an insult to me by the end of the year. No doubt. Uh, I mean, it should be. That should be the goal. Because he's a grown man out there. At least he looks like it. And he got good feet. He was a hooper. He could move around. You're right. And then his, his, his mom? mom was a mom Yeah, was a she hooper. was a hooper, too. Mom can hoop. Yeah. You're right about that. Got them sweet feet. He's got, got everything. Feet. He there's no there's there's no measurable or physical raw material that he lacks. It's Get all. First off the bus. Yes, it to him for him. Yeah, it's all about his development, and it's all about him being disciplined enough in his technique and his fundamentals, and then him having that war daddy mentality. I won't be blocked. Bring one it. one. Y'all gonna have bring to block it. me with two or three guys. Otherwise, no. I'm gonna blow this whole damn play up. <laughs> and I, right now, I don't know. I, I hope he's got that. I don't know if he has it right now. With Bo Davis, if anybody can infuse that mentality into you, it'll be Bo Davis. He can bring it out. Uh, one last cut here before uh, we get to Raj around the day. Uh, my man Chip Brown, who's always uh, working hard, I believe he asked Sark about the last scrimmage they had and what players stood out in the last scrimmage they had. Uh, here is Sark. Ooh, after a while, he actually took him a little while to come up with this. I, we cut all that out. But he actually took him a little while to come up with the answer because he said it, everything. a lot has happened since then. Going to support the Texas basketball team in the Elite Eight, had a junior day since then, all the practices. Uh, but here's Sark hearkening back to their last scrimmage and talking about these standout performers. I think all in all, last Saturday went well. Last Saturday. Well, uh, I think, first of all, we came out of it healthy, which is always a positive in spring. We want to tackle. We want to be physical. Um, but, you know, you, you're always mindful of, of, of injuries and, and what that could look like. I think that was that was the first part that that stood out to me. You know, I think I think inevitably um, I thought there was some real flashes in the past game. Um, I thought that that there was some things that we've been working on in the passing game that was really effective for us. I think Terrence Brooks was a guy that kind of stood out that, that did some things last, last Saturday that, that showed up. Um, thinking through here of other things that JT Sanders um, was, was good last Saturday and showed some things, but like I told the team, you know, I felt like we could have been better last Saturday and that and that's my job, right. To say, Hey, as we continue to grow and go, I'm always got to push you and I got to keep pushing these guys to new heights and new heights and new heights. And, you know, when I, when I told them when they came off the field, I said, Hey, we were good today, but we could have been better, right? You guys have set a standard here that, that is very high and, and they've worked to create that standard. And now our job is to, meet that standard and then exceed it to create a new standard. And that was something I thought last Saturday where we could have went to another level and maybe we missed the mark just a hair. Um, but that's going to, ha- it gives us another opportunity, you know, this Saturday uh, to see where, how far we can take it. All right. So we got another scrimmage coming up this Saturday with the Texas football mm-hmm. team. Um, but yeah, I mean, I like that he brought up Terrence Brooks. 
Bates. Uh, that's a name that I want to hear. The field corner uh, taking over. Remember, he took over last season late, uh, but I expect him to win that job coming out of the spring as the field corner opposite Ryan Watts, who's going to play the boundary corner on the short side. He'll be playing on the wide side of the field. Um, but after getting to know his dad a little bit, Chet Brooks, former Aggie, uh, who's also uh, a, a DB coach and a footwork coach, um, and watching some more film on Terrence Brooks, I've been doing some deep diving on him. I'm a big fan. I think the guy could probably play nickel or play safety, too. I think he play any position potentially uh, in that secondary. He's going to be the guy, in my opinion, that's going to win the job. But I do believe right now it's still kind of an open competition at that specific job. He hasn't won that job. I believe he will. I think yeah. he's got yeah. the – yeah, I, I, think he's, I think he's got exactly what they want in a skill set for a wide uh, field corner because they want to be able to play bump and run man-to-man on yep. the field side, which is something Deshaun Jameson really couldn't do. Not – not confidently, or at least they didn't have confidence in him to be right. able to execute that. Terrence Brooks will be. Uh, all right, we come back. Okay, so we know that my man Shano, Kyle Shanahan, spoke as a keynote speaker for the Texas Football Coaching Clinic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sark was asked about that, so we'll play that audio. But also, we know that Sark, and even talks about it in audio, Sark's been a huge fan of the Shanahan uh, offensive philosophy for a while, not just Kyle's, but we're talking about going West Coast guys. He's a West Coast guy, going back to Mike Shanahan's offense. So there, there are a couple of um, different items I'm going to hit here. We'll get into how uh, Sark's uh, philosophy offensively, how it aligns with Shano's, and how it could foreshadow what the offensive identity could be for Texas this year. But also Bobby Slowick, the the Texans' new offensive coordinator, first-time play caller. He's also from that Shanahan coaching tree, and there are going to be, conceptually, there are going to be some things that also align with my man uh, Sark. So we'll get into that, too, and talk about how uh-huh. the football world, it's not as big as you think it is. All that and more right here on Ball Don't Lie on 1049 when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Find out what happens when people stop being polite and start getting real. You ain't keeping it real. My God, okay, it's happening. Everybody stay calm. Oh, you've done it now. It's time for Rod's Rant of the Day. Hold on to your butts. All right, welcome back to Ball Don't Lie right here on 104.9 The Horn. So there's a lot of discussion in Houston about how the – the, the Texans' offense is going to look. Now, first of all, you don't even know who the quarterback is going to be. So <laughs> that's probably the biggest variable, biggest uncertainty in trying to project how the offense is going to look. But Bobby Slowick, the new offensive coordinator, has never called plays before. It's first time calling plays. Remember, he was the offensive coordinator for the 49ers, so he spent a lot of time with my man Shano. So apparently he's – hopefully the, the Shanahan clan mojo has rubbed off on him. And he'll get some of that. And I found this little, little stat just trying to do some research to try to figure out what this Bobby Slowick offense is going to look like. And one thing that I found was if you look at yards per route run, which is 
probably the now analytically it is considered to be the most um, accurate stat trying to uh, rank receivers or predict wide receiver productivity. And, you know, if you start looking at yards per route run, the guys who led the NFL in yards per route run this year, I mean, you'll, you, you basically have the, the cream of the crop. I mean, it's Tyreek Hill, I believe, is at the top of that list. Uh, then it's Justin Jefferson, A.J. Brown, Jalen Waddle, Stephon Dick, Devontae Adams, Cooper Cups in the top 10, along with uh, Amon Rasay Brown this year, Chris Olave, C.D. Lamb's in there. It, it's, you know, I mean, right now, it, among the analytical minds out there, it's their go-to stat for wide receiver productivity. So I started t- taking the yards per route run stat, and I found this little nugget. So since 2018, there have been eight quarterback to pass catcher connections to average over three yards per route run. Just to give you a little perspective on this, Tyreek Hill led the NFL this year with 3.2 yards per route run. Justin Jefferson was second at 2.6. All right. Give you a little little gauge there about how everything is, you know, kind of being broken down here. So this is, since 2018, quarterback to receiver, not necessarily wide receiver, pass receiver, uh, pass catcher combinations or connections to average over three yards per route run in a season since 2018. Um, There are eight of them, and all eight of them have an association with the Shanahan coaching tree. Um, in 2022, it was Tua to Tyreek Hill when Tua was healthy, uh, and Tua to Jalen Waddle when he was healthy. In 2021, it was Matt Stafford to Cooper Cup. It was also in 2021 Jimmy G to Debo, uh, and Jimmy G to to Kittle, Aaron Rodgers to Devonte Adams. Uh, then in 2019, it was Jimmy G to Kittle, uh, and in 2018, you have Mullins. Yeah, that's right. Nick Mullins to Kittle. And then in 2018, you also have uh, there's a oh Matt Ryan to Julio Jones throws in there in 2018. And by the way, the Matt Ryan to Julio Jones thing, strangely enough, that's Sark. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was the Super Bowl year from not. No. Oh, no, Shano no, no, was, no, Shano was the Super Bowl. Yeah. Shano was 16. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And and Sark coaches for two years, right? Mm-hmm. It's two years, um, and that's a Sark offense, 17 and 18. Those are his NFL years before he decides to go back to Bama, and then he's the man. So of, so of, these, so of these, you know, different uh, pass catcher or quarterback pass catcher combinations, all right, three of them are Shano, two of them Mike McDaniel, that's really impressive, in the same damn year. <laughs> Uh, Matt LaFleur's got one, Sean McVay's got one, and Sark has one. That, to me, and, and by the way, all, like I said, seven of the eight are clearly from the, the Shanahan coaching tree. Like, right. Hell, th- matter of fact, three of those, three of these five were actually on the Texans coaching staff at the same time. Hate to bring that up. Yeah, that was, We're talking about the Texans, so I had, you had to bring it up. You had to bring them in. Right, I mean, yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Bring it up a little bit. Uh, yeah, it, yeah. It'd be yeah. It was Kyle, Kyle Shanahan is uh, in that group. Uh, uh, oh, Mike McDaniel mm-hmm. also a part of that group, and Matt Lafleur, all in the Texans coaching staff at one time. 
But anyway, I digress. So yards per route run. You are run. really digging that knife yeah. into him. <laughs> so I, we see obviously the Shanahan scheme can lead to you know obviously very high productivity for some of these pass, uh, sorry, these passer, pass catcher connections and combinations. Mm-hmm. And the only one that's not a part of the Shanahan coaching tree, you know, uh, directly would be Sark. But Sark, we know. After Shanahan leaves, and Sark admits this, by the way, and we'll play the sound of Sark talking about Shano. After Shano leaves to go to San Fran, Sark uses a lot of these Shanahan concepts to help stabilize the offense and transition it to his offense. He even used two tailback sets. Instead of using the two-back sets with a traditional fullback like Shano does with Juszczyk, he used two tailback sets uh-huh. at the time. I believe it was... Uh, and Devontae, was it Freeman? And I forget. Oh, the, I forget. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? It was um, Freeman and. I forget that. I forget the back. guy's name. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, they're yeah. That's, they're in, it, unimportant. It doesn't matter. My point is, he was using, borrowing, stealing, whatever, a lot of the Shanahan concepts because it made sense trying to transition that Atlanta offense from the Shanahan scheme to the Sark scheme. And trust me, I think he took a lot of that and kept it and almost kept it within the blueprint of his offense. He has now baked it in to the the, the Sark cake, if you will. Um, so here is, and I'll get back to this too because I think this will lead us to a discussion about the Texans, how the offense is going to look there. But I want to start with the 40 acres first. Uh, here is Sark. When Tevin he, Coleman. Tevin Coleman. Yeah, thank I wasn't going to let that much. go. I wasn't going to let that thank go. Thank you. You Tevin are the man. Coleman. Love your persistence, brother. <laughs> I love it. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, he was asked about having uh, Kyle Shanahan in town and asked about um, essentially, you know, uh, swapping some ideas, talking to Mexican and O's with the man. Here's what Sark had to say about his relationship with Kyle Shanahan. Yeah, uh, I think Kyle and I, you know, We've known each other for a long time, um, probably over 20 years. And I think there's a, there's mutual respect for, you know, what we do offensively. I think systematically we're very similar. Um, obviously the NFL game and the college game is a little bit different. Um, so I always have studied Kyle. I've been studying him for, like I said, for 20 years. And he's, in my opinion, is one of the best in, in, in our industry at what he does and developing game plans and schematically and how he goes about it. I think he does a great job utilizing the personnel that he has. And Debo's a prime example of that, of, you know, the versatility he provides and and then how he utilizes him in ways to get him the ball. Um, and we've, yes, we have Savion Red. We have some other guys kind of similar in those traits too. Um, and so whether it's scheme, um, whether it's personnel driven, we, we study, we study him a lot and we're always trying to find ways to get better. So it was great to have him in town and we got a chance to visit, um, uh, you know, quite a bit. Oh, please, please say it, Sark. Say positionless football. <laughs> just say it. He can't do it. it. He won't he say it. it. Just say it. He say positionless it. football. Please just say yeah. it. Just say it. Just say it. Uh, but he, he won't say it. But he hints at it all yeah. the time. Not only Savion Red, we got other guys. I think he's talking about Jay Witt. But please, just say positionless football. I would love it. But that's what Shano majors in, positionless football. And no offense in the NFL has embraced positionless football quite like Shano's offense. He's been building for like six years now. And nobody's yeah. going to be able to replicate that. You can't find a use check you can't find a Debo Samuel you can't find a Christian McCaffrey they don't make they don't make athletes like that uh shout out to the Cowboys though I do think the Cowboys have the best positionless football defense in the NFL but I digress uh getting back to the conversation here so what 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 concepts right what different ideas uh ideologically philosophically bind these offenses all these different types of offenses especially the different ones in the Shanahan clan what are the commonalities well 
what I think for Sark, what makes it interesting, and I think this is one of the kind of West Coast ideas, not necessarily a Sark and a Shanahan idea. It's just more of a West Coast idea, and the late, great Bill Walsh is famous for it. They call it stacking. Mm-hmm. All right, so stacking is essentially you take your best plays, your best run plays, and then you just build and stack different concepts, cheat codes, force multipliers on that. you got to master a run play, though. You got to master one or two yep, yep. run plays, running concepts, and then force the defense to become obsessed with stopping that run play or those two run plays. For Shano, it's the outside zone. Stop the outside zone, mm-hmm. you better stop it. But while trying to stop it um, and being obsessed with building and constructing your game plan to stop it and neutralize it, you that compulsion will leave you vulnerable elsewhere. It's going to leave you exposed in other parts of your defense and oftentimes in predictable ways. Predictable ways for great offensive minds like Steve Sarkeesian and like my man Shano to go, oh, I know exactly defensively how they're going to try to defend this run, uh, this run concept based on how their defense is constructed. And now I can reverse engineer their defense and find out exactly where the vulnerabilities will be. Yeah. All right. Reverse engineer the whole damn thing and essentially stack. So basically what the late great Bill Walsh would say is that basically on, off every play, off every good run play you have, whether it's a outside zone or whether it's it's an inside zone, it's a counter, it's a, a power pin, whatever it is, you can you should have a screen off of that. You should have a bootleg off of it, a waggle off of it, a naked off of it, and you should have a deep shot off of it. And then you can have. And it's kind of at the new age, modernized Shano version of it is off of all of those different concepts from the run play, the screen, the boot, the waggle, the naked and the shot. You also have counters to that. Yeah. <laughs> all right. I have a counter to the boot action or to the waggle or I have to, I'll fake the waggle, turning into an RPO uh, all these different things. Trust me, it's way more advanced than I want to get into on the radio. <laughs> and I think for Sark this year, that's going to be the challenge. Stacking. Last year, stacking was easy. He had Bijan Robinson and Rojo. Bijan ran out. Bijan was a was a beast. He was a demon running the zone, right? Any zone schemes, mostly your outside zone. Man, when he ran the outside zone, it was man, it was perfection. It was like listening to Coltrane. It was. It really was. You're talking about high-level, elite football execution when right. they ran the outside zone. Texas might have been the best, one of the best teams in the country at running the outside zone because of how great Bijan was. And Rojo, more of a power back, so Rojo can run your power gap schemes, your counters, and you could, you could stack off of that. You could stack off of it knowing teams had to overemphasize stopping certain run concepts against Texas because if not, then you're going you're gonna to die the death of a thousand cuts. Yeah, It's just the way it is. And teams would overemphasize trying to stop the run game, and then you can stack your concepts on top of that. This year, without Bijan, without Rojo, I wonder what favorable run scheme they're going to be stacking their concepts off of. Because yeah. the play caller, you learn, oh, man, we're good at this. <laughs> When we run this, you got the numbers. We average six yards a pop here. When we run this concept, we average seven yards a pop here. They know that kind of stuff. They do. I, you guys know. I give you the numbers. Yeah. I got those numbers. They definitely. I got a room of of coaches and a room of quality control people that are you know breaking down all those numbers. 
And the, uh, throughout the season, you start to you know slim down the playbook a little bit, and you start to focus on what your identity is. And your identity is things you do as well, if not better than everybody else. What do you hang your hat on? Those are your your hang your hat plays, mm-hmm. and then you stack off the hang your hat plays. What are Texas hang your hat run plays this season? That's that's being determined right now in the spring. Because then that is what will have the play action, the boots, the waggles, the nakeds, the RPO concepts all will come off of that. And by the way, Sark loves the RPO. It calls his offense an RPO-based passing game. Yeah. And, you know, he's he's been and he's been big about that, you know, for a long time since the RPO became popular. You still build that off of your most popular run concepts. That's still stacking. Yep. So getting to Sark, that's important. And, and for Bobby Sloak, same thing with the Texans. Right? Texans have Damian Pierce. Uh, he's from the Shanahan coaching tree, similarly. So they're going to be doing some stacking as well. And I wonder what their favorable run concepts are going to be. And then how do you build the passing game around that? Or you build it off of that? Mm. Um, but that, but that, that concept alone is why Sark's in that same category of coaches since 2018 – who have had a quarterback-to-receiver connection to average over three yards per route run in a season. Like I said, Shannon's got three of them. Mike McDaniel's got two. Matt, Matt LaFleur's got one. Sean McVay's got one. And Sark's got one. It's only eight of those since 2018. And I went and looked at yards per route run for Power 5 wide receivers since 2017. Guess who's first? Devonta Smith. 4.39 yards per route run. That's a... That's a short list, then, right? Uh, yeah, it's, a, it's it's Jack, Jackson Smith and Jigbiz after Devontae Smith at four point oh one. CD Lamb is next, three point nine nine. Then Elijah Moore three point eight five. T Higgins at three point six seven. My point being with Sark, though, it goes back to Sark and his shots that he wants to take downfield yeah, too. Yeah. That's a big part of it. Why he doesn't want to give up on those shots because it's such a big part of his offensive ideology as a coach. But I think it's. I I don't think I think it's more than coincidence um, that you know you look at that stat that stat since 2018 the eight quarterback receiver combinations to average over three yards per route run and Sark's in there with all of the Shanahan clan and he talks about how much he admires them how much he steals and borrows from all those guys and he talked about and honestly out of all of these guys his offense will never look like Shano's because Shano's offense will never look like anybody's it's just yeah. too unique and his offense is not like Mike McDaniel's either because Mike McDaniel he likes speed like Sark does but he has a different offense in my opinion than Sark but they do both love their deep shots downfield and their speedy wide receivers I, if you look at conceptually, the offense in the Shanahan tree that is most like Sark's is probably Matt LaFleur's. Matt LaFleur's offense, philosophically, conceptually, ideologically, it's more like Sark's than any other offense. They have a lot more commonalities. They love bunch formations. They love bon- uh, motions and shifts. They love targets to motion, a ton of that too. They also love it, the two-back sets. LaFleur is big on two-back sets with uh, – uh, AJ Dillon mm-hmm. um, and uh, it was it Aaron Jones Jones yes Jones the two back set for yes. the, the for the for, for the Green Packers, Bay Packers. Yep. Uh, he loves using two back sets mm-hmm. too and we know Sark was really good two back sets they also like twelve personnel with tight ends Sark's big on twelve personnel about forty percent of the time he's using two tight ends you probably see a lot more of that this season so and they use a lot of motion to manipulate disrupt mm-hmm. and to discombobulate they do a lot of that and Sark loves that too so it's conceptually it's probably closer to the Matt Lafleur offense but you can tell. Um, that 
Sark is a big fan of that whole entire zone blocking scheme from the Shanahan clan. And I think he's uh, borrowed a lot of those concepts. And you can tell it's added a lot to his passing game. Just want to throw it out there about how he's going to build the passing game this year will probably be based on how successful they are at certain run concepts. All right, we come back. We got Ravens looking at Baker Mayfield. That's a real story, apparently, uh, that Baker Mayfield apparently shot down uh, during this offseason. We'll talk about that and also the NFL working to prove Thursday Night Football. All that and more right here on Baltimore Law on one the Horn. Well, our story starts in Texas where he's tempered by the heat. This skinny Alvin boy believes his fastball can't be beat. So he Welcome back it to Ball Don't Lie right here on, on 104.9 The Horn. New theme Thursday. My man Patrick plays jams uh, that are supposed to give us clues and hints as to what the new theme of the day is. Hart's got it on the first uh, go-around this time. He just uh, said it's got to be for Major League Baseball's opening day, and he was right about that one. Gotta be. Uh, so we're celebrating Major League Baseball's opening day. We'll give you some updates, spoiler alerts, coming up a little bit later on. Uh, real quick, because uh, we don't have a lot of time. Uh, so the NFL owners opted to uh, opted not to vote on a rule that would allow games to be flexed into a Thursday night kickoff. They agreed Tuesday to modify the existing rule to allow teams to play a maximum of two short week games. Uh, that means that while some teams could play two Thursday night games, others would not have any um, back-to-back Thursday night games, such as Thanksgiving game followed by a Thursday night game uh, the next week would only count as one short week game. So some teams uh, could wind up playing potentially three Thursday night games if the NFL gets their way. Man. Uh, yeah, a lot of players, including Patrick Mahomes, um, showed their disdain. He did it with a, a, a palm face emoji. <laughs> Uh, I guess that's the official way to say it. But he was not happy with it. A lot of other players, too, upset with this. The NFL is claiming, hey, that they still care about player safety. Roger Goodell said, I don't think we are putting Amazon over players' interests. We look at data with respect to injuries and impact on players. I think we have data that's very clear. It doesn't show higher injury rate. I hear from a lot of players directly, too. They have 10 days off afterwards. Mm -hmm. So there are some benefits on that side as well. Mm. Oh, by the way, this is going to happen because I believe the vote, because the vote for flexing, uh, 22 owners uh, voted in favor of Thursday night flexing, eight opposed and two abstained. So, you know, it needs a 75 percent vote uh, approval and they're going to get that at the next owners meeting. It's going to happen. Sure, because it's all about the money. They're going they're going to have flex scheduling for Thursday night football. So just get your get your mind right. Get ready for it. Straight and, and cash for on us, it. and for you and I, we're it's like, great. oh, yeah, this is going to be great. Now, the question is, what are they going to – they're not going to flex the good game. Are they get the fourth best game? Because Sunday night gets a better game. Monday night gets a better game. And then you figure Fox and, like, the, the game of the week, so maybe fifth best game? Something like that, yeah. It, I'm just saying, like, because all those other people are still better than Thursday night football. Yeah, I think they, they probably get priority over Thursday yeah. Night Football. So but, you get Thursday but night they th- do want Jeff Bezos in part, as part of their billionaires club, they so they don't. might hook him up a couple of times. Yeah, they're going to look right? out They, there. they really right. want him to take That's over right. that Washington team, and they're like, Jeff, would you spend some more money with us, please? Yeah. Uh, all right, we'll come, they call him Jeff because they're really close. Because, you know, because they're all billionaires. All billionaires can call <laughs> each other. <laughs> Even Goodell's almost hey, a billionaire. He'll hey, be one Bezos, point. <laughs> homie. JB. JB, what's going on, Bring me some of them pesos, Bezos. All right, we'll come back. We'll talk about Major League Baseball's opening day. We'll give you an update on the Rangers, update on the Astros, and we'll talk about NIL rankings. Uh, Longhorn getting some love right here on Ball Don't Lie, 104.9 The Horn.